there are some things that I really like to talk about. Okay, these are some of them. I like to talk about my son. I love to talk. I, I really like to talk about my son. You can get me started and I won't stop because I like to talk about my son. Uh, I like talking about my teams. I like talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I like talking about Notre Dame football. I really like talking about Notre Dame football. I can go on and on and on and on and on. Not as much about my son, uh, but I can go on and on and talk about Notre Dame football. I like talking about my church. Griffith First Christian Church. I like, really like talking about my church. I like talking shop with other ministers. You know, it's like, what do you think about this? And how do you interpret this passage of scripture? And you know, how do you deal with this problem in a church and things like that? I like talking shop. I like talking church. I like talking about the weather. That's why I put a picture of Tom Skilling up there. Because Tom Skilling likes talking about the weather. Tom Skilling loves talking about the weather. But I like talking about the weather. I, I like checking out. I've got like three different websites that I check when it comes to checking out the weather. I check and see. Uh, okay, I'm a weather geek. Several years back, I decided to compare weather sites for 15 days, and I created a spreadsheet uh, to see who was more accurate in their 15-day forecast. Does that make me a geek? Yes. Thank you. Yes, it does. So, yes, it does. Um, I like talking about music. That's why I put a picture of Bono up there. I, my favorite band is U2, as we talked about last week. Uh, I like talking about music. So these are all things that I really like talking about. But I tell you what, I tell you what, there's one thing that I love to talk about. And I love to talk about what I'm going to talk about today. We have been going through our summer concert series this summer here at First Christian Church. We have taken the song titles, the, the, hit, the titles from hit songs, and we have used them as sermon titles all summer. And we have gone through the decades from the 1940s up until today. Uh, we're going to cover the 90s today, but uh, we've talked about these hit song titles. And we've looked, like I said, we've looked at songs from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and today is the 90s. Uh, we've looked at songs like Sentimental Journey from the 1940s, Jailhouse Rock from the 1950s, I'll Be There by the Jackson Five in the 1970s. And last week, my favorite song of all time, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by you too. So we've talked about these hit songs, uh, song titles as sermon titles. If you've missed any of the sermons along the way, they are available online. You can go to our website at gfcc.net and you can uh, click on the watch listen button and you can watch or listen to any of the sermons. Actually, you can watch any sermon from this entire year uh, and it's part of last year as well. Uh, and you can listen to any sermon pretty much over the last six years. They're all available on our website. So if you're ever, you know, bored and don't know what to do with yourself, you thought, well, maybe I'll listen to an old sermon. That's the place to go, really. So, uh, but don't do that when you're bored. Do it when you're really excited, okay? Um, so if you missed, like I said, if you missed any of these, then you can go back and watch them online. Uh, today we're talking about the decade of the 90s. And uh, we're talking about one of the biggest hit songs of the decade. This song spent 14 weeks at number one. Now, there was another song. It came down between two songs, okay? It came down between two songs. There was two songs that spent 14 weeks at number one. Uh, the one we're going to actually talk about uh, is the seventh best-selling and most-played song of the 1990s. The other one was a little more popular, uh, but like I said, they both spent 14 weeks at number one, uh, and it was the Macarena. But I couldn't, find any, I couldn't find any scriptures to back up preaching a sermon about the Macarena. I thought, perhaps... Perhaps the passage of scripture that talks about when David danced before the Lord, but I can't see David, you know, doing the Macarena, you know, before the Lord. So we're not going to talk about the Macarena. 
Uh, instead, we're going to talk about a song that was originally written and performed in 1973 by Dolly Parton. Uh, but its greatest success was when it was sung in 1992 to the uh, movie uh, soundtrack, The Bodyguard by Whitney Houston. And a really cool version last year after Whitney Houston passed away that Jennifer Hudson did at the Grammys in 2012. That was like goosebumps. Anyway, uh, but in 1992, this song enjoyed its greatest success. Like I said, 14 weeks at number one, seventh biggest song of the 1990s. And it is the song, I Will Always Love You. Like I said... This is going to be hard for me to get through because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. This is my absolute favorite thing to preach about is the love of God. It's, it's God's love. And I get real emotional when I think about and I talk about God's love. And so if I cry today, you'll have to bear with me. You'll have to forgive me uh, because this is something that really just, this is what gets me going. This is what keeps me going is the fact that we have a loving father, a, a heavenly father who loves us perfectly. And we'll talk about this for the balance of our time. So uh, grab your Bible, and uh, you're not going to need it till the very end. Uh, we're going to cover a whole host of scripture passages, but you're, you're going to need your Bible at the very end when we talk about one specific passage. Um, and grab your HDO. It's on the back of your bulletin. So grab your bulletin, turn it over to the back. You'll find the HDO. You can fill in some blanks. And the very first blank on your outline is God will love you faithfully. God will love you faithfully. God's love is a faithful love. It is a love that never ends. We sang the song earlier. I don't know if, how many of you have ever heard that song before? The One Thing Remains song. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Okay, so if that was your first time singing it, I hope you liked it. We're going to sing it again in a few weeks. But it's just one of those songs that, that talks about God's love. And God's love never gives up and never runs out on me. It is a faithful love. I want you to take a look at this, this passage of scripture from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That Hebrew word that is translated as steadfast love, it is a Hebrew word that means faithful. And it describes, it is a word that is used to describe God's covenant with his people, the covenant that he made. George talked about it in his communion meditation this morning. This covenant that God made with his people, this promise that he made to love them throughout all generations. Uh, in the passage I read at the very beginning of our service today from Psalm 136, that his love endures forever. His covenant love endures forever. It is a promise that he won't break. God's love for his people is faithful. The book of Lamentations is a book of mourning. It is a book of sorrow. It is a book of grief. And the, the, the author of Lamentations was writing uh, in response to the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And, and in uh, the, the minds of the Hebrews and the minds of the Israelites, the Jerusalem was the holy city of God and the temple was where God dwelled. And, and for the temple to lay in ruins and the city of God to lay in ruins just broke their hearts and it just ripped their hearts out of them. And they were so uh, sorrowed and so saddened 
by what had happened. They wrote an entire book, uh, the, the book of Lamentations. Um, and so they're mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem. They were full of sorrow and full of grief. They were suffering emotionally. And, but the writer would not despair. He would not despair to the point of forgetting that God's love never ends, it never fails, it never stops, that God's love is a faithful love. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. There's another verse I want you to look at. It's from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. It is that same word that is used in Lamentations 3, the same Hebrew word about God's faithful love. He will never break his promise. God will never break his promise to love you forever and to always love you. God will always love you, always love you. His love is a faithful love. In Psalm chapter 6, David was mourning over some of his sin, over his sin, and this is what he said in Psalm 6, 1 through 4. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. It is the love of God that never fails. And his forgiveness, his forgiveness of our sins is tied to his unfailing faithful love to us. That his forgiveness is tied to his love. That you can't have one without the other. It is because of his great love, it is because of his unfailing love, his faithful love, that he chooses to forgive our sins through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we read that God is love that god is the very definition of love and how did he show his love look at this verse this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us jesus died for our sins and in verse john chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 it says this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Think about this verse, John 3, 16. You all know it. Everybody's heard it. They hold it up to the football game. For God so, read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That we can have eternal life because of God's great love. He loved the world so much. He loved the world in this way. He demonstrated his love for us by sending his son Jesus. When he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, it was an act of love. It was a demonstration of his love. He poured out all of his wrath on his son, his beloved son. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This was his son. And yet he chose to let his son take our place, to suffer and die in our place, to take our punishment. He took our punishment on the cross. That's what we deserve. We deserve death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, what you earn because of your sin is death. That's what you deserve. But he does not give us what we deserve. Rather, he gives us a gift. And the gift is the gift of his love. That he loves us faithfully. He loves us with an unfailing love. 
And it is because of his love that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And why? Why would God do this? Why would he heap all of our sins on his son? It's because God will always love you. Like I said, he loves us faithfully. He is faithful in his love to us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John wrote, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That it is because of his great love for us that he reaches out and he offers us this opportunity of forgiveness. That all the things we've ever done, the sins that we've committed, the lies that we've told, the ways that we've cheated, the, the things that we've taken, the, the times we've taken his name in vain, the, the, the sins, the pride, the arrogance, all of it, all of the sins we've committed can be forgiven in the blood of Calvary. All of the sins that we've committed can be washed clean in Jesus' blood. It's an awesome gift of love. And that's where it all flows. From a father's heart full of love for his children. He loves us. He really, really loves us. And he will faithfully forgive our sins because he will always love us. And his love will never, ever, ever end. God loves us faithfully. The second blank on your outline is God will love you compassionately. God will love you compassionately. The Hebrew word translated as compassion is a word that comes from the root word for the, for the word womb, uh, a mother's womb. In, in Psalm 86.15, the psalmist says, You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You are a compassionate and gracious God. It's, about, it's, it's like a mother's love for her unborn child. A mother is so concerned with her unborn child within her womb. She will do anything to protect her child. Do you remember the first time you were... How many of you uh, remember the first time you were going to have a baby? If any of you guys raise your hands, I will be very disappointed. <laughs> or maybe your wife. Maybe you remember your wife was going to... The first time you remember you and your wife were going to have a baby. Do you remember that? Do you remember the first time? Yeah, how many of you remember the ultrasound? Do you remember the first ultrasound you ever saw? I want to show you a picture real quick here. This is, this is my little guy. This is at nine weeks. This is the ultrasound from nine weeks. My wife is going to cry. But you see that little guy right there? There's his head and his little arm nubs and his little leg nubs. And uh, he was looking right at us. I, I will never forget this day as long as I live. Because they're doing the ultrasound. And we see this little image pop up on the screen. And his little arm nub is doing this. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I was like tears pouring down my cheeks. I was like, oh, he's waving hi. He knows me. I'm his daddy. And it was so great. It was so awesome. Just, you know, there's little JCLC waving at me, you know. And, and we didn't even know he was a boy. We didn't know he was a JCLC at the time. We didn't know what he was going to be. But we knew that, you know, he was ours. And we were so excited. He's our little guy. And, and we would do anything to protect him. We would do anything for him. We had this incredible... I mean, when you first find out that you're going to have a baby, it is like this overwhelming burst of love in your heart just explodes. It's like, I love this, this 
baby, you know, and, and, and I love him so much, or I love her so much, I can't wait for you to get here. You know, every day I would pray, God, please protect the baby and, and help him to get here safe. I always said, help him to get here safe, because I wanted a son in the worst way. From the very moment we found out we were pregnant, December 31st, 2005, Lord, please let it be a boy. <laughs> God is good and faithful. But that love that, that is described that God has, this compassionate love, is like a, a love that a mother has for the baby in her womb. It, it is a, a deep, passionate love that really cannot be described in words. Like I said, my heart burst with love and compassion and joy the moment that I saw him. And this is how God feels about you. When you think about a baby, you think babies are so, they're so weak and susceptible. They're so frail and fragile. You know, I, um, I mean, there was a time that, that I was doing laundry at our house in Minnesota. And I, I, I put him on the, the couch and in the little corner of the couch. And, and he was doing his thing. And uh, he hadn't rolled over yet. Yet. I run downstairs, put laundry. I hear this whomp. I run the worst three seconds of my life. The three seconds between whump and it's like, please make a sound. Please make a sound. Please make, I call her. She's at work. I call her as fast as I can. I broke the baby. I broke the baby. I broke the baby. I broke the baby. What are you talking about? I need you to come home. I broke the baby. I was so concerned and he's so weak and fragile and frail things could happen to him I was really concerned that I had broken the baby babies are a lot tougher than I realized but still they're it's scary you know God we are in, in his eyes this is how we are we're weak and we're fragile and we're frail and we're susceptible and he loves us with this compassionate love like a mother loves her the baby within her womb he loves us compassionately in the new testament it's a, a different word that is used for compassion i've talked about it before it's the word splachna splachna literally means guts or intestines or entrails it's it's in here it's here have you ever been moved by love so much that it hurts that it literally hurts it's like oh i love you so much and i see you struggling and hurting and it and it hurts me it hurts me to know that you hurt in this way and that is the kind of love that god has for us it's the kind of love that jesus talked about in the parable of the prodigal son you know the story Young kid thinks he knows it all. Says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. I got plans. And he takes all the money, he goes to a foreign land, and he squanders it, just wastes it. Wine, women, and song just completely wastes everything. And then what happens? The worst of situations, famine strikes the land. And he is completely, completely and utterly devastated. No money. All his friends have run out on him. Nothing. No place to live. He's homeless. He's, he's penniless. And he doesn't know what to do. And, and so he goes, he, he does the, the, the thing that's just unthinkable. He goes and he hires himself as a farmhand to feed the most disgusting creature alive. Pigs. I mean, they wallow in their own filth, right? And so he goes and he, he, he begins to feed the pigs. And he's looking, he's actually jealous of the pigs and the pods that they're eating. He's like, man, I wish I could just eat what the pigs are eating. And he 
oh, man, uh, my, the, the hired hands at my dad's house have it better than I do here. Maybe I can go back and just beg my dad for a job. Maybe he'll just give me a job and let me live in the servants' quarters or something. And so he starts to, starts to make his way home. Jesus says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion on him. Here comes his son, ragged, scruffy, thin and gaunt, haggard looking. He hasn't eaten in who knows how long. He's been feeding pigs. He probably doesn't smell the best. And while he was a long way off, he's, his dad, who is, hasn't been just lit, sitting in the house going, man, I hope my kid's all right. He's been out at the edge of his property just looking, scanning the horizon. When, I don't even know where he went, but I, I, I just want him to come home. I just want him to come home. And he sees his son a long way off. And, he, and he's filled with, the Bible says he's filled with compassion for his son. He sees his son. He's filled with compassion for him. And he runs to his son. Now in those days... I read a story about how uh, the, the view of people in those days that the more dignified and wealthy you were, the slower you walked. The slower you walked. What does this father do? He's very wealthy. He probably walks very slowly, very well respected in his community. And what does he do? Forget dignity. That's my son. And he runs to his son. He just leaves all custom and social order behind and he just runs to his son. And his son's got the speech that he's rehearsed a thousand times in his head. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just let me, just give me a job. Father won't hear anything about it. He runs up to him and grabs his son in his arms and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him and he says, my son, my son, my son, you've come home. He had been waiting and waiting and waiting and his heart is just bursting with, with love and compassion for this total screw-up of a kid. But it's his son. And he loves him so compassionately. And he loves him so with so much pity and love and, and compassion that he can't help but throw his arms around him and tell him that he loves him over and over and over again. That is how God feels about you. That is how God feels about me. That he is the father and he is waiting for us to come home. He is just waiting for you to come home. And you may be wandering. You may be just wandering out there and going, I don't know where I'm going. I feel so lost. I feel so confused. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Turn to God. Because your heavenly father is waiting for you to come home. He is waiting for you to make that decision. He is waiting in compassion and love for you. He loves you and he, he, his heart just burns with compassion for you. And he wants you to come home. And he will do whatever it takes to bring you into his family. And you may feel like you just you don't deserve it. You may feel like you don't deserve this kind of love. And you don't deserve his favor. You don't deserve his grace. But God is his love is so much greater than we can even imagine. His love is so much greater than we can possibly fathom. How wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of Christ really is. It is an awesome love. And he loves you compassionately. And he will always love you compassionately. The third and last blank on your outline. God will love you unconditionally. God will love you unconditionally. Throughout the New Testament, whenever we read about God's love, we read about his love being an agape love. 
And agape love is an unconditional love. It's a love that we don't deserve. It is a love that says, it is a love that says, I will love you no matter what. I will love you in spite of yourself. I will love you in spite of your sins. I will love you in spite of your weaknesses. I will love you in spite of your failures. I will love you no matter what. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that welcomes us and accepts us right where we are. In 1 John 4, 16, John wrote, God is agape. God is love. He is the very definition of love. You want to know what love looks like? Look at God. Because God is love. He is the very definition of love. And Jesus came to demonstrate this agape to you and me. He came to demonstrate this unconditional love to you and me. In Romans 15, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul wrote, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand what that means? You see, God sent Jesus to die for sinners. He didn't send Jesus to die for the righteous, people who thought they had it all together, people who think they've got it all together. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to die for sinners. He came to welcome sinners into his family. He came to make sinners into saints. His love is unconditional. Jesus didn't die for people who think they're perfect. And he doesn't expect you to clean up your act before you come to him. He died for you in the midst of your sin. He died for me in the midst of my sin. He didn't say, Sean, okay, go to Bible college and then, and then uh, get a degree and uh, take, a little, take a few seminary classes and preach for 16 years. And uh, after that, I'll think about forgiving your sins. And, and once you've earned it, once you've been good enough for it, then I'll forgive your sins. That's when Jesus' death uh, applies to you. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were in our sins. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, or people who think they've got it all together, people who don't realize and don't think they need a Savior. I came to seek and to save the lost, the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost daughter, the one who says, I, I don't know where I'm going and I'm, I'm, I'm walking around in chaos and confusion and my, my life doesn't make sense and I don't know what to do. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. It's because of his incredible, great love. It's because he loves us so much. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the unconditional love of a God who will always love you. He will always love you. I told you you'd need your Bible here at the end, and this is the end. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. I want to read to you, read with you, what Paul says about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. This is how Paul defines love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The Greek word 
that Paul uses there for love is the word agape. What did 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 say? Who is agape? God is agape. God is love. And so I was thinking, if you took out the word love in this passage and you substituted the word God, how would it sound? God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He, does not, he is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Say it with me. God never fails. God never fails. He loves you. He loves you faithfully. He loves you compassionately. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you perfectly. Right there, where you are, at 11.32, on Sunday, August 11, 2013, you are being loved more than you'll ever know. That God is loving you from heaven's throne at this very moment. You are loved. How will you respond to that thought? How will you respond, how will you respond to this knowledge that God loves you? How will you respond? I think the Bible in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 says it the best. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How will you respond to his love? First John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. The best way that we can respond to God's love is to love other people, to love our families, to love our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to even love our enemies. The best way we can respond to God's love is to love others and to really love others, to really love other people compassionately the way God loves us, to love them faithfully as God loves us, to love them unconditionally as God loves us because God's love needs to be expressed by his people. We live in a world that is living in a drought of love, a famine of love. Our world needs love so much, and they need the people who have received the greatest love to give it to other people. We gotta get this love out there. We gotta tell people about God's love, and we gotta share God's love with people. So how can you do that this week? How can you, receive, how can you share God's love, the love that you have received? How can you share it with someone this week? Maybe you mow your neighbor's lawn. Or maybe you um, buy a bag of groceries for a family that you know needs it. Or maybe you, you buy a cup of coffee for everybody in the office. That, that person who drives you nuts, buy him a cup of coffee this week. You're going to show up at work. You know, Some of you may work together and somebody's going to give you a cup of coffee. You're going to think, I drive you nuts? <laughs> More than you know. Seriously? Show God's love to somebody in a practical, pragmatic, 
tangible way. And just when they ask you, well, what would you do that for? It's because God loves you, and so do I. Show God's love to someone in a practical way. Don't just tell them that you love them. Show them that you love them. Don't just tell them that God loves them. Show them that God loves them. If you've never received the gift of God's love, we offer an invitation every Sunday, and this is invitation time. We're going to pray in just a moment, but I want to invite you. If you've never received God's love, this gift of his amazing grace and love, I want you to, to think about this today. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, but you've never been baptized by immersion, then you need to do that. You need to accept this gift of love that he has for you. That's the next step that you need to take. And if you've never received this gift, we offer this invitation every Sunday. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. We want to invite you to make this choice, to make this decision to follow Jesus today. Just remember, wherever you go this week, whatever you do, God is with you. There is a God who loves you. And he loves you all the way. And he will always, always, always love you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your love, for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our savior, to die on the cross for our sins that we could be forgiven and free. Lord God, we can't thank you enough for this wonderful gift of love. I pray that you would help us this week to share your love with others. Help us to understand a little bit better about your compassionate, faithful, unconditional love that we might share it with those we come into contact with, that we would love our families and our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would even love our enemies, and that we would be known as the most loving people on the planet because we believe in and we know the God, the true, one true God who is love. We give you all the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.